0: What do you tolerate? Well, we talked about how revelation, the word revelation, is coming from the Greek word apocalypto. Apocalypto not necessarily meaning destruction, as people think, because when we hear apocalypto, we think what? Apocalypse, which is what the word is. But the word apocalypse or apocalypto in Greek doesn't mean destruction. It means the revealing of. So what revelation actually is, it's the revealing of something. It's called the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. This book is about the revealing of who he is to the church. These seven letters specifically is Jesus is saying, I've got a message to the seven churches in the Asian province. We saw that in chapter 1, John, remember John, a disciple of Jesus and an apostle who was, they tried to kill him by boiling him alive. He survived, so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there alone with scars, burned alive, he had, he had a vision. And in the vision, very shortened, uh, abbreviated version of it, he saw seven lampstands. In the middle of the lampstand, he saw Jesus. <clears throat> and basically, what this vision meant was that the seven lampstands were the churches, the seven churches in Asia, and him, Jesus, in the middle, he wanted to make sure that the lampstands, the churches, were burning bright, revealing who he was to the best of the ability of the church. And that's one thing we need to remember, especially in times like this. A lot of people love to complain about what's going on, and one biggest mistake that the church does, if I may be so bold, is we love to get up in pulpits and say, don't worry, Jesus is coming back. Or we love to get up in churches and say, he's returning and we're, we can't wait for him to come because it's getting worse. But Jesus himself says, stop looking up to the clouds waiting on my return. I'm coming. Stop focusing on that. Go out and occupy. I've won it. Occupy what I've won. It's finished. Go take it. I'm coming back. Be assured of that. Now that you're assured of that, go reveal me through you by burning bright for all to see. And a lot of the church is so consumed with Jesus is coming back that they have stopped burning bright for the world to see because they're operating out of fear. And not out of what does our identity need to look like. And Jesus, in the middle of the lampstands, is making sure he's doing one thing. Trimming the wick and making sure the oil is flowing to the lampstands. Making sure they are burning bright for all to see. So, in these letters to the churches, he's saying, I've got things I want to encourage you on. And I've got some things that you need to be corrected on. In the first church, the church of Ephesus, he said, you've got all your systems right. Y'all got the teaching right. Y'all are looking great. You got the worship services great. You got your T's crossed, your I's dotted, but y'all left one thing. You've left first love. He said, you've left first love with me, and you've left first love with each other. The second church, the church at Smyrna, he said, I got to give you some encouragement. You guys are being persecuted, and you're poor. And the reason you're poor is not because you're lazy and you mismanage your money. It's because you stood for your belief in who I am and the government took from you. Talk about getting real with 2021. It's about to get real with that, whether you believe it or not. He says, You're persecuted and you're poor. And throughout the entire encouragement, he had one thing to say to them. He said, stop being afraid and remember who you serve in the midst of your persecution. Because a lot of times when things get taken from you, you start fearing the reality and you forget why you got there. And I think a lot of people in, in the church right now are so fearful of our reality That we forget we serve a God who says, I haven't left. We forget that we serve a God that says, I've already won the war. We forget that He has already defeated Satan. Be assured, we're not to fear anything, it's already done. So He's writing these letters to the churches. (coughs) Excuse me. And today, we begin the third letter. To the third church. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, it says this Write this to the letter, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp, two edged sword. You know, it's gonna be a good letter when he starts out by saying, Remember who this is from, the one with the sharp, two edged sword. Pergamum was the political capital of the Roman province of Asia. Now, remember, Ephesus was the economic center. Smyrna was the trading place. They all had political issues, but Pergamum was the political center. In fact, it had been the capital... For more than 300 years. And it was famous for having one of the greatest libraries in the ancient world. Uh, Some say more than 20 or 200,000 volumes. It's a huge library. But it was a big political place. And just like the other cities, Pergamum was also very, very religious. They had temples to Greek and Roman gods just like the other cities. But they also had three temples dedicated to the worship of the emperor. Now, I remember last week with Smyrna, one issue they started to get into is that in the ancient world, they, they all worshiped the gods of Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite, the ancient Greek and Roman gods, and they started to shift toward the worship of political figures. We don't know what that looks like in 2021. But Pergamum was actually a little ahead of the game in that idea than Smyrna. Smyrna had just erected their first temple to the emperor Pergamum had three temples to the Roman emperor matter of fact Pergamum built a temple to the emperor before Smyrna did Pergamum was also famous for worshipping a particular god the god's name was Asclepios Asclepios was represented by the form of a serpent and he was the god of healing and knowledge. It's funny, the serpent was the one in the garden who convinced Eve to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge. A See, there ain't nothing new under the sun when it comes to... <laughs> there was even a medical school in the temple of Asclepios... And what would happen is because they worshiped this God of healing and this God of knowledge, all of these people from the Roman province would flock to Pergamum for relief. And one interesting thing about Pergamum, they would actually come stay the night in the temple of Asclepius. Would you like to know why? Sorry, I got all kind of congestion. Don't worry, it ain't COVID. It's just snot. It's not existed before COVID. Pergamum had this temple, and the god was in the form of a serpent. So people would come to this temple, sick, needing healing, and they would stay in the temple overnight. And in the temple, they would have hundreds of tame snakes crawling around. (laughs) He knows. And what, what they would hope is that at some point in the night, when they were laying in the temple, they would get slithered on. By one of these snakes. They were hoping at some point in the temple of this God, they would get a touch. And if they got a touch, they had a faith in the healing from this touch of this God. And there are so many people in the same way laying around today in darkness, settling for a false touch from the gods of our culture thinking that it's more powerful than God himself and they exalt those gods on thrones. Everyone wants a touch. So we settle. We settle for the wrong people and leadership. We settle for what the government will give us for healing rather than what God gives us for healing. Right? God says, lay hands on the sick. But the government says, social distance, and we trust in that. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I mean, you got to use some wisdom, Kyle. I get your wisdom. But remember what knowledge cost us. God said, I don't want you to have knowledge of good. Or evil. Because it separates you from having stupid faith in who I am. And we forget about that part. That's why it's called childlike faith. Because kids will have faith in stupid stuff. Kids will have faith that putting a towel around their neck actually makes them superheroes. So they'll get on tall places and jump off thinking they'll fly. And we laugh, but that's exactly the posture that God wanted us in. So he he didn't say, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. And here in the temple, you got a serpent representing, representing healing and knowledge, and they're trusting in that over the God of all time. And that's exactly where we're at today. Is this all right? Yeah. We find safety in the pursuit of a worldly knowledge taking the place of faith in him and the knowledge of foolish things of heaven invading an earthly culture. I mean, how foolish is it? We think the answer to church is let's have great Video cameras and online services, and let's have great small groups, and let's have thousands of people joining in for worship. And you know what Jesus's answer to their problem in the church was? In, in a few of these churches, can y'all get back to first love and just start eating dinner together? You want that's the answer to most of the churches' problems. Go to most churches, clicks, and you think the answer is a video. Jesus says, just start to like each other again. And here are these people in Smyrna, they are just hoping for a false touch from a false God. they traveling from thousands of miles. I hope a snake will crawl on me at night. And... <laughs> Well, think about the generation that these kids are growing up in. They don't know how to have relationships, so they have relationships through people they never meet through TikTok, right? <laughs> through all these different platforms, I don't even know the name of them. I'm only, almost, I'm only 35 years old, and I don't even know the names of half these platforms because I'm getting sick of the false touches. Just being real. It's false touch. And kids don't know how to even have a relationship with people because they're depending on a false touch. They can't talk, but they can text a paragraph in about 60 seconds. And we're laughing. It's exactly what was going on in Pergamum. You got kids that can write essays, but you say, speak in front of the church. Oh, I can write a paragraph for two thousand people to read, but I can't talk to twenty-five people. It's a false touch. Are y'all y'all picking up what I'm putting down? So Jesus says, "I've got a message for this city," and it's from one with a sharp, two-edged sword. In other words, I've got a word from you, and you're gonna feel it with sharp edges. Hebrews four twelve says this: "For the word of God is alive." And powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The words of God will expose innermost thoughts and desires in order to make some much needed separation among the Christians in Pergamum. He says, church in Pergamum, I've got a word for you that's going to cut you. And we are in a day where the word of God is cutting and exposing inner thoughts and desires, making some much needed separation in the church. To expose those who are walking according to their soul and those who are walking according to their spirit. What does the verse say? Cut between what? Soul and spirit. Because at some, at some point you've got to realize your soul is to submit to your spirit. What is your soul? Your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. Every bit of that should submit to the spirit. And when God gives a word, there's going to be a divide Between what do you follow? And he's not talking to the city. He's writing this letter to what? The church. Can I talk for a minute? Let me tell you what the issue is with the church of our day. Everyone thinks that the goal is unity in the church. That is the goal. But when we say unity, we get unity wrong. Because when we think of unity, it means everyone unifies in the name of Jesus. And we should put down our differences to unify in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is about love. I'm about, I'm about to make some of you all mad. Just let's unify church. We're stronger together. No, no, you're not. We need to be unified, but we need to be unified the ones unified in the spirit, apart from the ones unified with their soul. Jesus says, I came with a word that would divide you. Y'all quiet. And what we have today, Jesus, Jesus says, many will say they know me. Many will proclaim my name, but I'll say to them, I never knew you. And this is our response. Let's put all our differences aside and let's come together in the name of Jesus. But there's so many that come in the name of Jesus who don't know who Jesus is. Because they've given their allegiance to their soul and not their spirit. That's why you have churches saying, let's ordain homosexuals. That's why you have a day in the church where we're tolerating all of this sin within the body because we just want to overlook it to do what? Unify. And Jesus says, hold up. I've got a word for you, and it's going to feel like sharp edges and it's going to cut between your soul and your spirit, and it's going to expose your innermost thoughts and your innermost desires. Because I need unity. I need a strong church. But a strong church is unified under me, not under whatever you call it. And a lot of... Is this too much? And a lot of the body of Christ adapts whatever they want as their belief and God says before I judge the world I'm going to read it in a minute just in case you doubt us in scripture I'm going to judge my house and the way I'm going to judge my house is not by unifying it but by to making sure it's the right kind of unity What do you tolerate, church? All right. Yeah, yeah. Y'all ready? All right. Got some blank stares. Verse 13. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. <coughs> Yet you've remained loyal to me. <coughs> you refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's cities, in Satan city. He says, You live in a city where Satan has his throne. <coughs> Pergamos, Pergamon was a stronghold of satanic power. There was a pagan religious center called Asclepios, uh, uh, the Asclepios uh, service. There was a throne like altar dedicated to Zeus. And it was also the center for the Babylonian priesthood. There are many, many reasons as to why this was such a strong satanic stronghold. But all the reasons have one thing in common. They were all taking the place of Yahweh. Let me read you a scripture that needs to open our eyes to what 2021 and really what we've all been getting up to 2021 is all about. 1 John 2.18. Dear children, the last hour is here. Let me just stop right there. This was written 2,000 years ago. So all you that are talking about when is the end time, the last hour has been here for 2,000 years. Chill out. I don't want us to offend anyone, but I swear if I get one more video about the end times, I'm going to block you. Just kidding. Not really. First John 2.18. The last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know the last hours come. And later on in that chapter it defines an Antichrist is anyone who denies the Father and Jesus being the Son of God. In other words, there are many Antichrist spirits among you. And that is the thing behind people who deny who he is. And they get in your government. And they get in your schools. And they get among your relationships. They get in your media. They get in your music. They get in your entertainment. They get in your family. They get in your military. And then people say we ain't supposed to influence all the parts of culture. He says, Many Antichrist spirits are among you. And the problem is that many people are ruled by Antichrist spirit and they lead in the agenda of Antichrist, not knowing that they're being led by that agenda. And cities and nations are being built on the thrones of Satan. Just like Pergamum. What do you think is happening to America? Think about Pergamum. The center of medical healing and knowledge. And now the medical advisor of our nation don't even believe in their own science because they don't even know if they a man or a woman. Are we that far from Pergamum? We're killing babies, but it's but it's a you know million dollar fine to kill a sea turtle. Not that I'm saying go kill a turtle. I'm just (laughs) hear me, hear me, hear me. Cities and nations are being built on thrones of an antichrist agenda, even if the people doing it don't know what they're doing, because what is the biggest strategy of of the enemy? Ignorance, darkness, operating in what you do not know. They are operating in the natural state of being birthed out of the knowledge of good and evil, which we have been redeemed from. They have not been redeemed from it. So they're growing in a knowledge of that they should not have. Y'all, y'all, are y'all y'all understanding this? Cities and nations are being built on this. And the fact of the matter is we're entering in a day where there's so much compromise and we're starting to call it entertainment where Jesus calls it a stronghold of Satan. We gather together to watch, the Super Bowl next weekend, which is fine, but then we watch a halftime show where every single second of it is satanic, and this is what we do. We're glued to it. Oh, that's satanic. That's satanic. That's. Why do you give your eyes to it? And I'm not, I'm not trying to just bring... I, we have made so many compromises. And we wonder why Jesus says, I'm coming to cause a divide between what appeals to your soul and your spirit. I don't need that in my church. And you have let it in. And that's why the Antichrist spirit is taking control of your cities because you've also let it take control of your churches. You do more celebrating of pagan holidays than you do of me. Don't you think it's an issue when you have more people coming on pagan Christmas and Easter? than a simple let's come worship on February 4th? See, y'all don't like it. Because you're American. And and you're used to this is our norm. It's been built on an anti-Christ agenda that you were not aware of. And now we're exposing it. And it's going to be cutting your soul like a sword. It's going to hurt you. Get the flip over it. That's all right. Okay. If, if you don't come back next week, have fun in your Antichrist churches. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love y'all. It's got to get a little comic relief in there. And Jesus encourages the church at Pergamum. But through all this, you've remained loyal to me. Trust me, I'm not saying we're the only church that's doing this. Trust me, I, I'm not that I'm not the boastful people. problem. You have not remained loyal to me. Or you have remained loyal to me. Even in this difficult city, church. Jesus praises me, says, you didn't, deny, you didn't deny me. You've, you've had tremendous faith. Are we at a place where no matter what happens, we're not going to deny him because of our faith? Hebrews 10.23 says it like this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Are you loyal to him when you have to hold on with faith to his promises tightly because it seems like there is no hope in sight? Hold on tightly, because y'all know sometimes with faith, you hold on tightly, because it seems like it ain't working, because sometimes with faith, it seems like no matter how much faith you have, it ain't working. <coughs> Can we get real? That's why you hold tight, so you don't waver from it. Jesus says, <coughs> you remain loyal, holding tight even in the satanic antichrist city. And he says, even Antipas, Antipas, who was my faithful witness, his faith led him to being martyred. His faith led him to being killed. And that didn't even shake you. Can you imagine that? Like you have a friend who was faithful and it led him to being killed? Some people would be like, I ain't going down that path. But these people, it didn't shake them. I wonder what shakes you. You, you know how many, how many people, their faith was shaken by this election? When someone was elected that does not represent Jesus, and your faith was shaken? Maybe you're in here. Maybe your faith was shaken. Let let me just encourage you a little bit. Hold on tightly. It's not over. We've won the war. This is a battle. So let's go occupy territory. What shakes you? What shakes your faith? Are you so loyal to him that the conditions surrounding you will not move you? (coughs) When you pray for healing over someone and they still die, will that move you? When we pray that COVID won't enter into the congregation, but it does, will that move you? Can I get real? We opened this church back up in June, and no one else was doing it. And I was believing that we would never have a COVID case. Well, guess what? We've had a few. That happened outside of the church gathering. And you know what we did? We cleaned, we prayed, and we kept it open. Not going to let it shake us. Now, to some, that's foolish, but I'm not going off of knowledge of good and evil. I choose to be stupid and faithful, and there's many in this room who are stupid with me, and I love your stupidity. Is this all right? Okay. So these people are loyal. Their faith is standing in them. But remember the beginning of the passage? <clears throat> he says, I've got a message for you, 2 headed sword. I'm, I'm not about to cut you, church. Look what happens in verse 14. <clears throat> but I've got a few complaints against you. <laughs> Uh-oh. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. He starts off by saying, I have a few complaints. Just because you have strong faith in a horrible place doesn't mean that the horrible place excuses the few things you get wrong. let me say that again just because you've got strong faith in a horrible place in a horrible environment doesn't mean that that horrible place and that horrible environment excuses the few things you get wrong and unfortunately we love to play a comparison game in the church of I got all this right and Jesus understands how hard it's been and he's going to give me grace in this one area Grace is not meant for you to prostitute for your pleasure. Grace is to make you right so that your mess ups no longer have a legal bearing on your life. He says, I don't care if you're right in the middle of Satan's throne. You got three things wrong, I've got three complaints. I don't care if you're in the middle of a pandemic or under a president who takes me out of your schools. You got a few things wrong. I got a few complaints. I don't care if the government tells you you can't gather. If my word says don't forsake the gathering, I got a complaint. Y'all hear me? You see, the word says, as leader of the house, I'm held to a higher standard of accountability with this stuff. So we're going to stay open. Because I fear him a lot more than jail time. I can deal with jail time. It's free. Free TV, free cable, free food. He says, the 97 great things don't validate the three bad things. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm coming for a spotless bride. And he wants a relationship. And the relationship is not just a relationship of a bunch of pats on the back. It's a relationship of let me expose the excuses of why you tolerate the crap that I don't want. And then Jesus starts to point out, y'all getting this? And then Jesus starts to point out the things. He says, You let people teach the doctrine of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Basically, we see in Numbers that Balaam combined sins of immorality and idolatry to please Balak, who was the king of Moab. <coughs> he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. What was the stumbling block? It was a mixture. They ate the sacrifice to idols, and they were sexually immoral. They used Moabite and Midianite women to tempt the people of God into sexual relationships and pagan rituals. In other words, basically, this is what uh, Balaam did. He was perverting grace as a license for immorality. God's got you, so you do whatever you want. Oh, you hungry? Yeah, eat, eat that food off the altar. Oh, you uh, you need some pleasure? Yeah, you go take whatever you want. I got some women for you. He was perverting grace in a license for immorality. In other words, Jesus says, you are tolerating people to teach a perversion of what my grace is all about. They're teaching this, as long as they believe in Jesus, they can have all the idols they want and they can have all the sexual morality they want and all the other immorality and it's okay. Is that so far off of what the church has embraced? There are so many believers who have so many idols and you don't you're not even aware of it because we tolerate it. There's so many believers that have all this immorality, and we tolerate it. What do you tolerate? You know, I'll, you know. We lately, because it's been such an, uh, a topic, we talk about the homosexual thing. Like tolerating it is supporting their, If you go to a marriage of a homosexual, that's tolerating it. But let's get on the other side of it. If you know. That someone in the house of God who is professing Christ and they're living with a man or woman outside of marriage, that is sexual immorality paired with homosexuality in the same passage. And we love to highlight homo, but we don't love to highlight living together. It's in the same sentence, people. And half the church is doing that and no one talks about it and Jesus says I have a complaint against that because you're tolerating the same junk that Balaam let happen. And I don't want that in my house because I want my house unified in purity and that ain't pure. It's not to to make you feel like a horrible person. It's, let's get you spotless, house. Because if there's people dealing with that stuff, then you are weakening what you can do in your influence of this satanic world, this antichrist spirit agenda. We have got to stop tolerating it and we don't want to offend them. It's a two-edged sword. It's supposed to offend their spirit to the point of change. But we don't like that in the church anymore, especially in churches led by people my age, because it's all about unity. And Jesus says, I don't want that unity. <coughs> then he says, you've also got the Nicolaitans among you. Remember who the Nicolaitans were? They, they were the people who, who said they were Christians, but they said they were a higher up version of Christians. You know, Biden, Biden just did the same thing. He said he was a new improved version of the Christian. That's what the Nicolaitans were doing. And the Nicolaitans were agreeing with that teaching. They were saying, "Oh yeah, that's good. We all we approve all, this, we approve all this perversion. This is great. Oh yeah, men can be women, women can be men, men can go do this, and men, you know we can share bathrooms and, and oh yeah, this is great. Oh yeah, women, you want to murder your kids? Oh, awesome. That's where we at. And you know, Paul actually addressed this in his ministry in the, to the church at Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. And look what he points out. Something that even pagans don't do. At that time. I'm told that the man in your church is living in the sin with a stepmama. Y'all know Paul would not be cool today because they make reality shows of this now. And then we watch it and give them ratings because you tolerate it. What you give your eye to on Netflix and Hulu, you tolerate because it's the entryway to your soul. Don't make light of that. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Paul's about to get real. Some of y'all are like, oh, Lord, where are we going with that Relentless. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You better call a meeting of the church. I will present with you, I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Verse 5. Then you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. That's tough. You're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you, do not associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. And that ain't Old Testament before the grace and the blood. This is after the grace and the blood called Jesus to leave. See, we don't like to talk about that in church. That's Paul talking to the church in Corinth. What I want to point out about this, Paul's not talking to someone who made a mistake. I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes. We've all made some mistakes. We're not talking about someone makes a mistake and you kick them out to church because they're not worthy of the fellowship. They were tolerating it, turning a blind eye to it, and were totally okay with it. And Paul said, y'all need to get that out of the house. Y'all need to do away with that toleration. And you know what I'm going to do as a steward of this house? If things are revealed like that, I don't care how long I've known you, there's going to be some restoration, there's going to be some intentional ministry. And if you're in leadership, you out to be restored to get back in one day. Because we can't tolerate it anymore. And that's scary for some of us to, did the pastor just say that? Like on a Saturday night at church, did he just go there? We, what do you tolerate? We can't do this anymore. We have got to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We cannot just casually walk on this earth and proclaim we trust in him and live by everything else that the world looks at as their natural. A difficult environment never justifies your compromise. And too many believers tolerate choices and lifestyles instead of standing firm of what we know to be true. So what does Jesus want the church at Pergamum to do about all this? Look at verse 16. Repent. Repent of your sin. Or I'm going to come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent, not, not I'm sorry. Repentance is not saying you're sorry over and over and over and coming up to an altar call every Sunday and saying you're sorry to Jesus about the same thing. Every, that's not repentance. Repentance is a change of course. I'm changing my direction. I'm walking back in the direction that Jesus has called me to walk in. And he says, church, of Pergamum, if you don't repent from tolerating this stuff, I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to fight with the sword of my mouth. What does that look like? What is fight with the sword of my mouth? Check out this passage from 1 Peter 4, 14 through 19. I'm almost done. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you're going to be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. So make sure you're suffering for the right thing. The only thing you should suffer for is for bearing the name of Christ. In other words, if you live a lifestyle that looks like him, people should be making fun of you because it don't look like their lifestyle. And that's suffering. Praise God. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Not with the world, and the church loves that. We love to judge the the parties and the the, the 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 things that are being signed and what's going on. He said, that's not where I want to start. I want to start my house. And a judgment begins with us. What terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. <clears throat> And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right and trust your life to the God who creates you. He'll never fail you. If you don't repent, I'll judge your house, and it will come in a way like a sword splitting it in half, because God cannot tolerate that in the days of revealing himself to the church. So we've got it all wrong. We think the last days are about God rescuing believers and and judging the world. He starts off this whole book about I'm revealing myself to you. And my judgment is going to start with you. So so I I suggest you stop tolerating the stuff that the world has deemed okay. And stop blaming the world for your issues. Y'all issues are y'all issues. Because I've already given you the idiot's guide to no issues. Call the word. Verse 17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. And understand what he is saying to the churches. Remember, that means that ain't just for these churches. That's anyone who's listening. To everyone who is, this, this is, this is the good part. I mean, not that the rest wasn't good, but. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. He says when you're victorious, when you overcome the spirit of toleration, you're going to receive hidden manna that's up in heaven. Manna in the Bible is often associated with bread and nourishment. But you know what the word manna means? It means, what is it? It it means, he says, let me me read that in its meaning. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the what is it that's been hidden away in heaven. He says, when you're victorious and stop tolerating all this stuff, I'll provide you with whatever is it you need when you need it. And I'll define what is it when you need it. You didn't get it. See, we all know this scripture right here, Philippians 4, 19. The same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from glorious riches which have been given to Christ Christ, or given us in Christ Jesus. We all know that verse, Right? He'll provide my every need. And then we go, How? He says, Well, I'll tell you how. Here's one of the ways you stop tolerating the stuff, I'll provide whatever it is you need from my secret heavenly places on earth as it is in heaven when you're victorious and what you don't tolerate. And I'm not going to name the prize because it's going to be whatever it is when you need it as you're victorious in that time. So, God, you got it. I ain't tolerating nothing. Because I want to be postured for heaven's rewards to release on earth as it is in heaven. But it's not just because God wants to do it. I talked about this in men's group Thursday night. We can all agree that Jesus was always perfect. But why wasn't Jesus released into his ministry until around the age of 30 and then had to do ministry for three years before he was taken up on the cross and then into heaven? Because even though he was perfect, he had to walk into his maturity into his purpose. What was maturity defined by? Walking out the assignments that the father had placed on his life. And as he walked out the assignments the father had given to him, if you read everything that Jesus said, yes, father, he consulted his father every time. He walked into his God-given purpose which ended up being the cross, to overcome death, hell, and the grave. And what you don't tolerate, you walk forward into, God, what would you have me do? And as I walk into my assignments, which is part of my plans and purpose, there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna have a need and it's going to be really easy for me to reach for the world to give me what I need. Or I can simply not tolerate the compromise and allow heaven's rewards to be. Think about it. Jesus couldn't feed 5,000. So he didn't go to the world hand. can we borrow your food? He said, what do we got? Five loaves, two fish, all right. So what is it was released in a miracle. That's how it happens today. You know why we're not seeing it? Because we tolerate too much. Dear church, stop tolerating. And I'm going to close with this. He says... I'm going to give you a white stone with a new name engraved on it. And no one's going to know that name except him who receives it. You know, a white stone represented a, a sign of acquittal in the, court of law, in the court of law. And it was a contract of friendship. He says, when you walk in my ways and you don't tolerate anything, you don't tolerate these antichrist agendas and these false spirits, I will present you to my father not only as my friend but as he quitted of everything you've done and he won't look at you as sinner he'll look at you in a new name that you don't even know yet I can't wait till I see my father and he calls me by my name not Kyle not sinner but by my my name I think we just need to stand and say today that we will not tolerate anything anymore. That we will stand for only what he wants. We will be that church. Amen. 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 Amen.